0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. I want us to talk this morning about hated for love. Hated for love. And I'll begin by asking you this, how do you respond when you receive bad news? Somebody comes to you and says, hey, I've got some good news and some bad news. Are you the kind of person that wants the good news first to buffer the bad or give me the bad bitter and I'll be able to savor the sweet after, you know? There's there's only two kinds of people in the world, right? Because there's only two orders, I guess those can go for. For me, give me the good, I don't want to listen to the bad, la, 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 not hearing that, right? Well, it's a, it's a question that we don't often want to consider, um, but this week some people might consider this passage bad news, and I want to make sure that you understand how good the news is in the passage that we have this week that Christ has for us. Jesus always gives hope that's why there is no situation there is no circumstance there is no detail there's no fact of life by which the gospel is not always our greatest highest hope for all things because Christ being made Lord of our life as he is Lord of all creation is always our highest hope let's go to John chapter 15 I'll begin reading in verse 18 Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master." If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes... Because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. In the 15th chapter of John, we've seen a full spectrum. As Jesus begins the chapter in the first 11 verses by teaching us how to relate to God abide in me and I in you for apart from me you can do nothing that's what he tells us and so 10 times he uses the word abide in 11 verses that makes it very very important and then in verses 12 through 17 we he talks to us about how it is that we live out this love this greater love that no one has and we do that by the way that he's chosen and appointed us to go To go and and to live as we've been loved. And so as he concludes this chapter, he brings it back to the reality that we see in the world. And it, it makes us at first want to ask, but who could possibly get angry over love? That's the exact question that he's confronting today. You may be surprised, but Jesus doesn't want you to be surprised by those who respond to love with hate nor does he want a fear to rule you in this world as a Christian. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. Jesus empowers Christ followers to endure and to advance his kingdom mission by love. Jesus wants Christ followers to endure and to advance his kingdom mission by love. Jesus doesn't infer That hate is a possibility here but hear me a certainty a certainty and this is what some as Christians would consider bad news but even the world knows this right because what does the world tell us haters gonna hate right you knew I had to use that come on that's too good and why did they hate? Why do they hate those who, who love? Well, they hate because we follow him. That's what he tells his disciples. They hated me. They're going to hate you. They hate because you're identified by my name and because you espouse my values. They hated Jesus. They, hated, uh, they, they are hated because they're not of the world and because the world doesn't know God. But chosen by God and believing in Jesus identifies one for hatred by the world. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And he draws a stark contrast in these first two verses by what he's been teaching about love. And he says, look, there is a love of God with which you can withstand and endure all things. But there is another kind of love as well. And it's not God's love, but it stands in contrast to God's love. It is the world's love. And here's where he turns to the world's love. The world loves those, look at what he says in verse 18 and 19, who are of them. The world loves those who are of them. What does that mean? Well, it means this. The world loves those who embrace and espouse the values that it purports. What do you mean by the world's values? How are they determined? The world determines its values in this way. By the ever-shifting wind of culture, culture being defined by the words that are used, the actions that portray, and the celebrations that are embraced. Those are three of the critical elements that create culture. And so the wind of culture and the current of common collective reasoning There's other words you can use for this, but I'll be nice. The the current of common collective reasoning. I went to France a couple of years ago and was working with one of our workers there. And he said, one of the greatest philosophies that drives all of this country is the philosophy of solidarity. And I went, oh, okay. Solidarity over what? He said, it doesn't matter. It's just solidarity. They just want to know that you're in solidarity with one another. If you're not in solidarity, you're not embraced. But if you are, and if you embrace their solidarity, then they'll receive you. And I went, but wouldn't you need to know what? And he went, yeah, that's kind of the point. I mean, he was talking about relativism in in its greatest, most advanced form, probably in the modern world as we know it today. In a country that espouses not only postmodernism, but everything is built on postmodernism the deconstruction of that which is, and the relativism that says you're a value and I'm a value, and we're only a value because of each other, and as long as we're in solidarity with each other, we can hold value for each other, but if you oppose me, I oppose you. If you try to hold authority over me or me over you, then all of a sudden, this all breaks down. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And we see it in so many driving philosophies and ideologies in our culture today as well. But what Jesus says, when you're not carried by the streams of the culture and the current common collective reasoning, you will not be loved by those who are. Jesus says the world will manifest hatred By persecution towards his followers. And then he says this in verse 20. But I want to remind you of the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. You see the disciples will be persecuted because Jesus was persecuted. So to believe in Jesus brings a person into full identification with Him by His death and resurrection into His life and teaching. That's full identification with. And so persecution for believing in Jesus is a reality for every Christ follower. It's not a matter of maybe if, but certainly will. And then he explains why it is that the world hates him and the Father. There's two reasons that he gives. The first reason, verse 22, he says this, They hate me because of the word that I spoke. They hate me because of what I said. Why is that? Well, because the word that Jesus spoke revealed their sin and the guilt that it produced. And now that they have this guilt, they are left without excuse. Now, what do we do when excuses run out? Well, it couldn't have been my fault. It must have been your fault. And fingers begin to fly, right? Blame, blame, blame. We're only left to blame because we will not take responsibility for what we cannot atone and for what we cannot reconcile. And this is what he is saying. You see, when the word of God comes, sin is revealed and guilt and shame and condemnation are produced by sin. And exposed by truth. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. That's why they hate me, because they've been left without excuse for the source of their own guilt, shame, and condemnation. But there's a second reason that they hate Jesus and the Father, and that's verse 24, because of his works. And so they hate Jesus for the word that he spoke that revealed the sin that they were in and produced the guilt that was in them without excuse. But then in verse 24, the works of Jesus are also another reason. Why? Because by his works, what did he do? The very testimonies of the Pharisees themselves said, surely this man is the son of God. Look, I mean, nobody can do what he does. Nobody teaches the way he teaches His works proved that he was God and by that proof it caused the guilt that the word had revealed to heap up more and more and more. Here's what one theologian says about the word and the works of God. For the greatness of the revelation made in Christ Jesus determines the measure of the guilt of those who've rejected him. And for me, that means this that the greater Christ is revealed, both in word and work, the worse the guilt of sin condemns. You see, God gets blamed for that guilt, does he not? God, get blank. God gets blamed for that condemnation. He gets blamed for that shame. But God is not the one who put it there. Sin is the root of guilt, shame, and condemnation. How do we know this? Romans tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the curse of sin that's put upon it, that condemns, has been consumed by Christ on the cross for those who put their faith in him. That's why there is no shame, guilt, or condemnation for Christians when we have our faith placed in Christ and rest in Him. For those who reject Christ... They bear their own guilt. They bear the weight of their own sin. That's why shame, condemnation, and guilt continue to burn. And the more Christ is revealed, the more the revelation of truth is exalted, the hotter all of those things burn in the reality of sin. Why? Because there's no excuse and there's no way to deal with it. You can't die for your own sin because your death for your sin is a useless death. That's why Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. And that's why his death is so important for you. Only the death of Christ consumed the wrath of God against sin and made a way for your sin to be atoned for and for you to be forgiven and cleansed. The world hates Jesus without cause because it was the fulfillment of his word. Look at verse 25. Here's the reason all this is happening. Because I said it was going to happen. And everything I say comes true. That's Jesus speaking, not me. That's what he's telling us. Well, Lord, do you have any good news for us today? Absolutely, absolutely. You see, but here's what Jesus is doing. He is preparing his disciples for the reality of living in the world, but not being of the world. He's preparing his followers for persecution. Christians often believe that persecution only happens to those who are unlucky who are the few super Christians, all others are able to avoid it. But friends, persecution is not something to be avoided, nor is it a sign of something being done wrong. Actually, persecution comes for faithfulness and effectiveness in testimony and witness. Christ's followers will be persecuted because Jesus was persecuted. Not necessarily in the same way. When you think about persecution, I would say to you that this is true. There's a spectrum upon which we can think about this that I think helps us to apply the word for our lives today. And this spectrum of persecution begins with just a, you might call a simple rejection of the word. A simple rejection of the works of Christ. We see this not only in academia, but intellectia. If that's a word, I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. People try to reason out the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see this in the common culture. We see this over and over and over again where people try to discredit Jesus. They try to say he was only a man or he was only a God, never man, or he didn't really die on a cross. These are positions held by major religions and subsequently uh, major people in the world as well, major numbers of people. Uh, They try to discredit the word of God. Oh, you you don't have to listen to anything. Thing that's not in red letter i got news for you the greek and the hebrew original languages were not written in any other color other than just the single color that came out of the ink well that that whole old book that started before the new book that's not even appropriate for us as christians that's absolute hogwash the word of god is the revelation of god from the very beginning the living eternal word always has been always will be over and over and over again they will not tolerate it why because they must blame something if they can't reconcile or atone for their own wrongdoing and you see that's not just in the big picture that's exactly what you and i do when we fail to To put our faith in Christ and receive what he has done for us. That's the first spectrum along persecution. Beyond that, ridicule might arise. Ridicule being more personally directed either towards your ideas, towards what your testimony says, or towards you as a person. That moves to false accusations that try to discredit you as a person. You don't know what you're talking about. You're useless. That's stupid. Whatever the case may be. It's always a diversion tactic against dealing with what God said and just trying to address. It's the argumentation factor that I used in junior high. If I can't win the argument, take out the opponent. Right? I didn't say I was right about that. I just said that's typically what I tried to do. I don't think I've done that since junior high. Okay, I'm not that great of a person. I absolutely have. Beyond that, it moves to unjust treatment, which we see of Jesus. Injustice. In every way. Why? Because they stoked the crowds to lie and create false accusations. But the demand of the crowd was such that not even the rulers in political control would do what they knew was right. They would only do what they knew would pacify the people. And that was the first century, not even the 21st. Things haven't changed much, friends. Why? Because people are still people. All the way to death. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we think because of the comfort within which we live in our nation. That that persecution of Christians is not a thing as much anymore. Might I tell you that the persecution and the deaths that happened at the hands of haters in the world against those. For no other reason other than they bore the name of Christ was greater in the 20th century to today, the 1900s into the 2000s, than all the other centuries combined. Persecution is at its highest in human history, friends, not its lowest. Never let the comfort of you walking into a door every week without thought of threat against your life cause you to believe people don't get persecuted for Jesus anymore. That's a false pseudo-reality that Satan would love for you to buy into, but it's not true. And you know what? If we sit on our blessed assurances long enough, it'll become an untruth for us as well. We walk in here every week by the grace of God and the truth of God to worship freely without threat or thought of it. Because of His grace. And as we turn away from him, we will lose the freedoms that we have as well. Why am I saying that to you? To threaten you? To scare you? Absolutely not. Just to warn us. Because the whole point of today is not to wonder who's going to die for their faith this week. But for each and every one of us to understand that as Christians, it's not about if, it's about when. It's not probably It's certainly, Christ followers must live prepared, not only for ridicule and rejection, but for abject uh, 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 persecution. I'll get the word in just a moment, even if it claims our own life. We deny the supreme value of God's love in Jesus, and we embrace worldly values when we live in such a way to avoid persecution, even when it's the lightest of the lightest, even when it's on the very first end of the spectrum. Let me ask you this Have you ever experienced hatred or, or accusation or ridicule for your faith? Most of us have to some degree in some manner. Let me ask you this Have you run away? Have you uh, cowered in fear? Have you avoided in some way, maybe in a cir- circumstance or situation, or maybe in a relationship? It came up you going, "Okay, this relationship's going to be a lot better if I just don't mention that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. They're in a relationship in this world that'll ever be better when Jesus gets removed from it. And the more you believe that, the more hell you're going to live in because of it. Know this, because the fact of the matter is, we've all run. We've all been Peter. We've all been Peter, but we can all stand before the Lord and receive, like Peter, what he received when we repent. When we cower in situations or relationships, that that situation or relationship is no longer what it is that we made it to be in our mind. For we've already hallowed a relationship on the altar of friendship by sacrificing the value of God's love and believing in worldly love as a greater power, as a greater value for the relationship than what God can do through your faithful witness. You go, man, you don't understand my situation, Pastor. I don't need to. Jesus does. And here's all I'm saying. I want you to know That faithfulness and testimony to Christ Jesus, no matter what it costs, is always of higher value and greater glory than sacrificing the love of God through a silent testimony and whatever the world may give you in return for it. That's what Jesus is telling us here. Worldly love lies to you when it tells you there's another way or that God's love demands too much. And Satan deceives you with this lie. You see, what Jesus does is he shows us two distinct loves here between the first 17 verses of the chapter and in verses 18 to 25 of chapter 15. The first one is a worldly love. And let me just summarize these loves for us. Worldly love originates from within a person, it comes from what is common or what is best between people. It's purely horizontal, friends. It's just passing itself around. It is fundamentally self-serving because the cost demanded will never exceed the price afforded. You will never allow the cost of love when you embrace worldly values to go beyond the return that you're given for that cost. Worldly love is determined by mutually agreed upon, self-serving love that both parties can afford to expend to one another in order to receive value for themselves. Now, contrast that with Christian love. Where does Christian love come from? Christian love originates from the Father and it culminates in Jesus at the cross. And I want to take that image of the cross today and talk about the crux of love in this world for the Christ follower. The crux is the point at which the intersection of two lines cross each other it's based on the vertical love of God that has come not from us but from God through Jesus Christ revealed in his word and carried forth by his spirit and as that love is strengthened then there is an empowered horizontal love by which we can give out to others what we have received from God Christian love does not come from Christians it comes from God but it is conduited through Christians. I can't use this sermon because I can't let the public know I just use that word. We're instruments, friends, instruments. When we receive God's love in Jesus, we don't love out of what we can afford, nor do we love out of what we need in return, nor do we love because another has or can love us in return. Might I direct your attentions to the signs flanking us on the walls? Christians love first because God loved us first in Jesus And when we as a church stop pursuing people who don't love us, yea, who even hate us and consider us their enemies, when we don't go to tell them first that God loves them, we cease to exist for the purpose for which we've been saved in this world. We live counter to our identity in Christ because God came to us first. We go to people without invitation Because God loved us first. We love first because we've been loved first in Jesus to share the power of God's love and to show it in the way we live our lives. We love in truth and in grace because God loved us truly and most. He loved us according to the truth of his word in righteousness and in holiness. But he loved us that he would consume all of the wrath of sin, that he might make a way that we could be forgiven for our sins and cleansed from its every demarcation in our life. That's why there is no shame, guilt, or condemnation that can rest upon a Christian unless they choose not to continue in their faith in Christ. Because we've been loved truly and mostly. We love in truth and grace. We as Christians do not love other people to pacify temporal feelings or fleeting demands of worldly values, neither ours nor theirs. We do not love for these reasons. Rather, we love for reconciliation between the unrighteous and the righteous by the forgiveness and the cleansing of sin, not the sweeping under the rug of it. And when we cease to love in truth and grace, one, that's not two things, that's one, we cease to exist for the purpose for the one whose name we bear. Christians love in ways that last because God loved us with an everlasting love in Jesus. As I said, we are conduits from God. Like a trumpet or a tuba or any instrument that is placed on this stage, it may be a beautiful accessory with which we can decorate, but if somebody doesn't blow some air through it, it isn't going to make any sound. And so is our lives. As the Spirit of God does not inhabit us and blow the power of God through us, our lives cannot play the instrument that God has designed for us to play. Christians love as we've been loved because we've been loved. Christian, the more you avoid living as you've been loved, the more comfortable your life will be in the world. There's no doubt about this. The more convenient that your thinking will be in terms of the way of the world, the more accepted you will be by the world because you're living by its values. But hear me, the more misery will be compounded and multiplied in your heart because of that the more you live as you've been loved, abiding in Jesus and as he has appointed you to live, the more you'll be hated and persecuted by the world. So how then, in the midst of this, what anyone could argue is bad news, how does a Christian endure? Is it worth it to follow Christ? Is he worth? What he demands. Does the return equal the investment? I'm telling you, it doesn't equal the investment. It doesn't ever equal the investment. You know that the return from God never equals what you put into it. It always surpasses it. Every time. Every time. For where sin abounds, grace abounds. How much? Equal. Equal to your sin almost sufficient to deal with it, almost enough to remove it. No, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, all the more. You don't ever get an equal return on your life in Jesus. You always get more than you earned or deserved or were worthy of. Amen. And that's the good news in the midst of this, friends. It doesn't matter what the world puts on you. It will not touch what Christ can do in you. And that's where our hope rests. That's the lingering question, though. What if I'm not under immediate and threatening persecution? Do we just store this teaching in order to keep it until the day that we might need it? No. God never tells you something today that you don't need today. What God gives you, he's giving to you because you need it now. You may need it then as well, but you need it now. You see, friends, persevering, enduring, is not just about uh, uh, enduring the harshest. Persecution, but it's learning to endure in any and all situations, it's teaching your life training your heart where to tune itself at all times so that no matter what comes against you, you are always secure in Christ. Any situation though that threatens to steal your heart from trusting Jesus would apply in this situation. Just because a threat is not its harshest does not mean that that threat is not real. As a matter of fact, in almost 30 years of pastoral ministry, I have seen the vast majority, the vast, I've never seen someone killed for their faith, personally that I knew in my presence but every person that walked away from Jesus it wasn't because of the immediate threat of life most of it was because of just simple little innuendos that the world had begun to plant inside of them but, you know I just the doubt the speculation about the goodness of God whether or not the joy of Christ was really worth the sacrifice of obey of obedience and then over time They would just go, you know what? It's not worth it. Why? Because they let those subtle, small innuendos, doubts and speculations, they let them plant and grow. You need to guard against those things as much as anything in your life. We must learn to follow Jesus faithfully in the everyday moments that we might prepare for the hard times. Or you will not be prepared to follow against the harshest of threats. Friends, grace and truth that saves also sustains to endure. God's grace and love for you is sufficient to save you. I don't care how far you are from God right now. It is sufficient to save you fully, completely. It is also sufficient to sustain you fully completely that's the hope friends that's the hope and the worse the news that the world can throw at us gets the greater the hope in Christ becomes every time and always I want to provide for you three provisions that Jesus gives for Christians to endure in God's love against the hate that you will experience in the world three provisions number one Jesus's word to remember Jesus' word to remember. Jesus prepares his own disciples to endure. How? By his word. That is the purpose of his word. God tells us in the prophet Isaiah, he sends his word out forth, he says, to do his work. And it will not return to him void. It will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. And that's why Jesus says, remember the word that I spoke you. The word of God cannot be undervalued in the life of a Christian. It cannot be overestimated. In every calculation, the word of God is an essential source of strength and wisdom, power and discernment for all situations because Jesus gives his word to strengthen the Christ follower from falling away, he says. And Jesus' word that identifies sin and the producing and resulting guilt from that sin, also, listen to me, also reveals righteousness and truth and the joy that comes from it. brings freedom into our life because we see what Christ has done to us and given to us. It reveals God's nature, and it reveals His character. For he gives the word first to know who he is and also what he has done. John begins his gospel this way. In verse 14, as he's talked about, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, he says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Who is this? It's Jesus Christ. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what the Word of God is intended to do in our hearts and our lives every day, friends. To provide for us the strength, the wisdom, and the power to sustain our life in Christ regardless of what comes against us in the world. For God reveals himself by his word so that his followers know and remain close to him, trusting in his grace and truth for all of our needs. That's the first provision, the word of God. The second provision is the Spirit's confirmation, Holy Spirit's confirmation. Look at verse 26. They hated me without a cause, he says. This was to fulfill my word, but... But when, not if, not maybe, not could be, there is no aspect of uncertainty here when he says, but when the Helper comes. Comes Jesus will send the Holy Spirit. He will come from the Father and he will carry forth the work that Christ has accomplished. You see, this is critical for the Spirit of God always works in conjunction with, never counter to, and very seldom isolated from the active presence of God's Word in our life. When you take in the Word of God and you press it upon your heart by meditation, by memorization, by remembrance in what? Whatever form you are given to the artillery of the Spirit to wage war with weapons that are not of this world and will not be defeated by those that come against you in this world. For the Spirit comes to help us when we read the Word. The Spirit of God brings our life in Christ into a clear and plain visibility in the Word. Sometimes I read the Word and I see Christ. I see who He is. I see His holiness. I see His righteousness. I see His love and His forgiveness and all that He's done. And I come to know the character and the nature of God and the Spirit of God encourages me by who He is and who this God is, the one true living God that we worship. And sometimes I read the Word and I see Lane and I don't like it. Because when he's describing all of these things that are counter to God, I see me over and over and over again and every committal of every sin and where it grows from and the darkness and the damnation of it. And I see that and I'm left wondering what in the world, but I am never left there because this God who is holy and righteous came in truth and grace and he comes and he takes all of who I am that I don't want to be but I can't stop being and he covers it by faith in the cross. Of Jesus Christ and he says you are not what you were you are what I have said about you when you put your hope in me and that comes in the word it is our life in Christ how all of my sin was taken in all of him on the cross and I am covered in him and his righteous now clothes me That's who I am. That's my life in Christ. And the spirit within gives confirmation and says, yes, Lane, I know you don't see all the ways that this is true, but God says it is, and that's what matters. Trust him and follow him. He'll show you. For the Spirit illumines the Word of God for us to see, for us to hear, and for us to know God and to understand, to perceive, and to apply it that we might walk in His wisdom and by the light of His truth for our life. That's what the Spirit is. Jesus says He's the Spirit of truth. He confirms Jesus' words. I've had many friends and, and people who are wisdom in my life affirm the Word of God in me. But I'm telling you, there's never a period at the sentence of someone who affirms the Word of God for you. They may have been right, but at the end of the day, they're not God. And they don't get final say. The Spirit is God. And when He speaks, there's a period at the end of the sentence. No one can change that. The Spirit of God confirms the Word of God to show the work of God to lead you by the way of God into the will of God. That's the work of the Spirit in your life, saying yes, 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 because every promise is yes in Christ Jesus, and the Spirit is bringing confirmation of that. As Jesus, the living Word incarnate, was clothed in flesh, so the Holy Spirit, who is the Word exhaled, breathed out from God, goes forth and accomplishes His purposes in the world through the life of the believer for the Spirit moves at the forefront of every work of God in the world, leading, empowering, illuminating, and energizing for eternal transformation by God's revelation. That's the work of God in the world, but in your life, Christian. When you, when you listen and you depend upon the Spirit to illumine what the Word has said, this is the work He will do in your life. There's one third provision that God... Jesus has provided for us and it is the testimony of the Christ follower. We see this from his time there all the way back from the beginning of time all the way to today where we are. Jesus first of all tells his disciples there's a specific role in the kingdom for you carrying forth the work He says this, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. He's centering on the word there, right? But then he also says this, that the Spirit will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. Verse 27, because you have been with me from the beginning. He's saying to them, you'll not only be my disciples, you will become the apostles. Capital A. Those through whom God will move by his Spirit, carry them along, 2 Peter says, that they might write the holy writ that we have as the Scriptures called the New Testament today. And not only that, but those in the old, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, they were too carried along by the Spirit of God. You see, it's not just certain people that wrote the Scriptures, but it was certain people who were moved by the Spirit, one Spirit. There's one author of all the scriptures, there are multiple authors of all the scriptures. And this is the way by God's divine plan that he gave it. And those apostles would bear a testimony from having walked with the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth and give to us what we know of today as the New Testament by which those who are walking by faith with Christ today by his Spirit might be able to read and to bear witness in and of ourselves. The living Word of God revealed through Jesus took on flesh. It was breathed out by the Holy Spirit and it's been inhabited through those chosen apostles to bear witness for all to hear, to believe, and to keep that we too might become Christ followers and we might bear witness in this world that the Spirit of God would go forth and continue to save people from their sin. That is the foundation that's laid. That is the plan that's been set forth. Friends, persecution is the prevailing response from the world, but it's not the only reality in the world. And you need to understand that not only Jesus' word and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, but the testimony of a Christ follower is given to one another as an essential practice for the endure a strength to endure in this world. People will persecute Christians because they don't know the word of God. That's what he tells us. They they didn't know the word, therefore they they go after those who keep the word. But those who kept the word will also keep theirs. In other words, you and I today, do you see what's taking place here? He's, He's speaking to us about the necessity for us to testify to one another, to speak the truth in love, Paul says in Ephesians, for us to share testimony with one another, for a church to be centered on the word of God and to be centered on Jesus, that it might shape us by the very truth. That inhabits us in Him. For Jesus gave His word to Christ followers for strength and encouragement that we might endure. I've been watching those video testimonies that we did for Easter, and in them it's interesting, none of those three people I knew at all two years ago. And yet, all of them, as I listen to their testimonies, I find lane in them. Oh my goodness, I got that. I, am so, I was so there, I know, I at least know part of what they're talking about. Why? Because that's the testimony of a Christian who's holding to the word of God that's been confirmed in their heart by the Spirit of God against anything that comes against them. That's the value of a Christian testimony for you. That's why you need to be in the church. You need to be active in the church. You need to be sharing with one another, strengthening with one another. Friends, Jesus spoke so that when hate happens, we will remember his words. And we should remember this. As light conquers darkness, so love conquers hate. As light will never be overcome by darkness, love will never be overcome by hate. Christ will Reign supreme because he does reign supreme. Jesus empowers Christ followers to endure and to advance his kingdom mission by love.